You are listening to the EdTech Takeout from Grantwood AEA, an educational service agency that supports school districts in eastern Iowa with a focus on equity, excellence, and efficiency in education for all children. Welcome to the EdTech Takeout, the podcast that serves up bite-sized technology tips for teachers. My name is Mindy Carney, and with me, as always, Jonathan Wiley. Hey, how are you, Mindy? Hi, fine. How are you? I am pretty good. I was just talking to you before the show that our grand plan for writing intros for each other kind of went by the wayside. That didn't last very long, did it? Well, for one of us, I did mine. It was your turn. I didn't do my homework this week. I think that's what it came down to. Don't don't pass the buck on me like this is an us thing. It's a you thing. All right. Okay. Next week. Next week. Yeah. So um, some follow-up things from episodes in the past. Man, we have more follow-up today than yeah. we've had in a long time. Yeah. Lots of things going on. Lots of topics um, brought up again that we have discussed in the past. So did you want to start with Google Play? Yeah, let's jump into that one. I think um, for Tech Nuggets on one previous episode, we talked about something called podbay.fm, which yeah. is a way that people can listen to podcasts on Chromebooks and different things like that. A very small update to that would be that uh, you can do that on Google Play Music now. Um, nice. Which is something that is available for people to do. Um, it will require your students probably to be 13 plus because it requires a Google account in order to log in and listen to things. But once you're in there, everything you want to listen to is free. So whether it's this podcast or another amazing podcast, you can do that in the Google Play Music website or on Google Play Music apps for iOS and Android. I think we had this discussion um, just amongst the team, because I think I just asked this question to somebody the other day about that 13... Um, year old, you know, to establish an account, whatever, with Adobe. Is it the same thing? Like if a teacher signs up for an account, can the students still use it? It's more about the giving out your information as a 13-year-old. How does it, yeah, I mean, it seems so gray. If you set up a class account and you let somebody else use that account, then I guess that would be your choice as the teacher to do that kind of thing. I think that is reasonably Common practice in some places. So, um, yeah, the 13 plus restriction is about collecting personal data from people. And, you know, Google does that on a lot of their services. It's going to track the kind of things you listen to and maybe try and um, use that information for different things. But, uh, yeah, maybe a classroom account would be a good way to go for that. Yeah, right. Well, and as long as you're listening to it in class and allowing your students to use it in class, then it's much safer. I wouldn't send that information home with them maybe, but I don't know. Yeah. All right. So I have an update too. Okay. Let's hear it. We, you know, talked about screen time as one of our, um, I don't know, hot topics, I guess. And, um, the American Academy of Pediatrics just came out with a new update about screen time for toddlers. You know, one of our early learning consultants emailed that to yeah. me recently, too. Really? So, yeah. So um, the new update, although I feel like you and I already discussed this and we already made this point, is um, actually the uh, 18-month-old to 2-month-olds, they're saying it's okay for them to have some screen time. 
Um, what they're really saying is great for kids that age is to be able to use Skype or FaceTime or some sort of video conferencing with people that they know so they can communicate through the screen um, and how that's a great way for them to be using some screen time. But once again, it's all about the quality of um, apps that you're using with your stu- your child and that you should be sitting with them and engaging with them. And I think you your analogy was kind of like watching Sesame Street with them and talking about the world around them and connecting with what they're seeing on the screen to the outside world. And um, the American um, Academy of Pediatrics is saying that that is fine too, but you should make sure there's no screen time during dinner or mealtimes and also no screen time an hour before bed for those littles. Hmm, that's interesting. So it sounds like what you're saying is that after they listened to our podcast, they decided to revise their position a little bit. Well, I, I think I think we really had a big say in this. Let's be serious. Yeah, I mean, it seems consistent with some of the things that we were talking about recently, for sure. Yeah, as with everything in the world, a little common sense never hurt anybody. So I feel like this is really common sense. But the other thing that I thought was interesting is that um, children from two to five, they're saying like one hour of screen time, but then they're also talking about, well, if they were to watch like 10 minutes of Sid the Science Guy at school, and then they discuss that with their classmates, and then they watch um, a short little video um, reflection of their field trip that they took, so bringing video home with them, and then maybe after recess they go and do like a collaborative like doodling app or something like that. Should that really be part of their um, hour of screen time that they're recommending? And really what they say is as long as it's really high quality stuff, then that's the most important thing is high quality over and as you know, like a certain amount of time. So I think we kind of said that too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, speaking of updates, we have uh, another one. I've, I've got a statement here to read from Google. Oh, it wasn't sent directly to, to us per se but um i'm gonna read it like maybe it was um oh okay sure. right. and it says uh based on customer feedback we are adding education specific capabilities to the explore tool in google docs before rolling it out to the google for education domains on scheduled release basically they are adding back those features that they took away when they added the explore function so right and primarily the research tool right primarily the research tool yeah so yeah. in the last yeah. episode you talked about uh was it alice keeler that was putting together a kind of a petition yeah. for people to sign up yep. for and say we want those things back yep yep and so yeah based on customer feedback they're coming back yeah which is good but only in the g suite right G Suite for Education. G Suite, yeah. G Suite for Education. Is that it? G Suite for Education. That's what we're calling it now. I believe so, right? yeah. Okay, yeah. I, there, there's a new hashtag if people are interested. It's G Suite EDU, I believe, on Twitter. Right, because it used to just be GAF. Yeah, which yeah, was short and sweet that. and didn't yes. take up a lot of characters, which was good. But uh, right. G Suite but EDU. Now we're, we've, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, that's good news. All right, and Twitter's been updated a little bit. Yeah, some Twitter yeah. updates too. So, I mean, this isn't all that um, recent, but if you haven't heard, uh, things like photos, videos, GIFs, polls, quote to tweets, all that kind of stuff do not count towards your 140 characters anymore. Which is awesome. Which is good because pictures used to yeah. take up like, I don't know, 21 characters or something weird like that. So you can yeah. now add as many pictures or videos and stuff and it won't affect your 140 characters. 
Um, other things that they have uh, done that is also different, and Mindy does this already, apparently. I asked her before the show. Um, you can. <laughs> oh, I didn't know we were bringing this up. Yeah, no, go ahead. Hey, we can yeah. talk about it. It's yeah. just you and me, you know, nobody else is yeah, listening. Yeah, right, right. Nobody else is listening. Um, yeah, so I, t- Jonathan said to me, did you know you can retweet yourself? And I said, well, yeah, I knew that. And, which sounds really terrible, but the only time I retweet myself is my um, Seesaw QR code, like get an extra month of Seesaw for free, Seesaw Plus for free. That's the only tweet of my own that I ever retweet. And it's merely because I'm lazy. I'm like, I'll just retweet this. And then sometimes I undo the retweet and then retweet it again. So I don't have to, because you only get to retweet yourself once. Yeah, so if you never tried retweeting, so. <laughs> or you can actually quote tweet yourself too now. And, and I do that sometimes too. You do? Yeah, but only with my Seesaw Plus QR code. Only that. And that, ladies and really? gentlemen, is our contractually obliged... <laughs> comment for CISO for yeah, this podcast. Yeah, right, for CISO, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other thing that I'm happy they're getting rid of is you having to put that little um, period before the at sign so that, you know, before what you had to do if you wanted, so if you tweet at someone, what used to happen was that if you did like at Jonathan Wiley, the only people that would see that tweet would be Jonathan's followers and my followers that are alike. Right. So now they've gotten rid of the fact because then you had to put a little period in front of it if you wanted all of the followers to be able to see it. So now they've gotten rid of that. So I haven't I haven't tested this. Have you tested it to see if that works yet or not? Um, You know what? I've done it because I saw that it was um, like that now, but I'm still seeing people use periods before that's on, which made me kind of wonder, like, is it real? I mean, when I read the article, I thought, oh, this is great because that's so annoying. And then I started not using the little period in front of the at sign, but I was still seeing people using it. So I thought, well, maybe it was like being rolled out at another time. I don't know. So I saw some tweets about like, how come I can see this tweet of yours? Because I don't, you know what I mean? Like I saw some tweets about it. So I don't know. I'm assuming it works. I don't know why it wouldn't. Well, because the, the, there is one more that hasn't rolled out yet that is coming. And that is that? when you reply to a tweet the at username will no longer count towards 140 characters. Oh. So that's good, huh. isn't it? Um, yeah, it is. There's a, a little thing that Twitter had up here that said uh, characters are for conversations, not for usernames. So uh, that is still to roll out. I tested that again this morning, at least on the mobile app that I use. And yeah. um, it was still counting it towards 140 characters. But uh, huh. that's coming. It must be coming sometime, huh? That's a good one, too. Yeah. One of the ways I try and get around that, and I don't know if it really works or not, is to quote tweets. I would take someone's quote or someone's tweet and quote it, and then in my, yeah, I don't know. Right, because they'll, they'll still get notified that you mentioned them by doing a quote tweet. Yeah. yeah. But then who sees it? Just my followers or the person? Because you get a notification that you've been mentioned in a tweet, right? Or yeah. that they've quoted your tweet so then i don't know it gets a little gray for me i'm like who sees this tweet and who doesn't i don't know so lots of follow-up i think yeah uh, yeah interesting things so google yeah. play music uh the google explore feature yeah. is getting updates we had the screen time updates and twitter updates hey um did you give a date on when the google explorer google docs research tools coming back is it november 
sometime in November? This statement I have did not have a date attached to it. Yeah, I feel like it's in November. I think I saw it because I have like the Google rollout calendar. I think I saw it in November, but I could be wrong. All right. Sounds good. All right. So our hot topic for this week is one that I have, um, let's say, borrowed from somewhere else because I'm doing a, a grad class right now with Steve Dembo. And this is one of the opening conversations that he asked us to have as a group as part of that online cohort. And it was in regards to should schools allow YouTube to be on their network and to be accessible for students. And I think this is kind of an interesting topic because there's definitely pros and cons that go along with this. The context we looked at it was in relation to SEPA, which is the Children's Internet Protection Act that requires schools to implement internet safety. And one of the comments or one of the restrictions that it says there is access by minors to inappropriate matter on the internet. And although there is a lot of great things on YouTube, there are some things I think people would quite easily categorize as inappropriate matter at times. So what do you think, Mindy? Oh, this is a hard one. I say yes to YouTube. I'm not going to be wishy-washy about it. I'm just going to say yes to YouTube. And I know as a teacher, I struggled with this a ton because I worked with first and second grade students. And my biggest thing wasn't about getting the videos. It was about the advertisements that came up after, you know, and that like, I don't know if they have a special name for it, but like the grid of different videos that pop up after the end of your video. Yes, they're related videos. Those or... were the things that I always was so worried about because I felt like sometimes they could change too. You know, they weren't. They could be so random, and that's where I always got super nervous. So one of the things I did was I still used YouTube videos, but I pulled them into QuietTube um, and used that and gave the um, URL for the videos that were used in there. I never let my kids just search YouTube, ever. Um, they were videos that I picked and had watched and um, used, and I can't imagine having not taught without YouTube. So I'm saying, yes, we just had to be very careful and very diligent about how we're allowing our students to use it and just keep our eyes open and keep a conversation going about um, what happens if we see something that we shouldn't have seen. So, yes. Yeah. And, you know, there are some schools that take a, a compromise approach. And, you know, those schools that you sometimes go to that have got like a staff uh, network and like a student network. And right. when you do things like that, it lets you adjust what you filter and what you don't. So, for instance, you could allow YouTube for teachers, but not allow it for students. And when it comes to like SEPA and things like that, you know, access to minors, by minors to inappropriate matter on the internet, then, you know, you're restricting that access, but you're still not denying teachers the ability to access the good educational material that's on there. Right. But doesn't your school filter take care of some of that stuff? I mean, if we especially for older students. I mean, YouTube, that's that's how kids look up new information now. They look for videos. We still look for websites and sit and read. Kids don't use YouTube like we use Google, right? So, I mean, if we take that away from them, aren't we taking away a great research, research tool? Yeah, we absolutely are. It's just, you know, if you were to put yourself in the shoes of a technology director, you want to make sure that your school is SEPA compliant. And are you SEPA compliant if you are 
allowing YouTube? I I don't know. I mean, CEPA is kind of vague. It doesn't say what kind of things you can and can't do. I mean, it does talk about more specific uh, things that you should definitely block, and those things are pretty obvious. But um, I think it, YouTube falls into that gray area sometimes a bit, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I know. But the thing is, too, like, I'm not saying just because kids can use their cell phones all day long that that makes it okay. But I mean, isn't it better to have the conversations in the classroom? And yeah, do we want our students to see something inappropriate? Absolutely not. Do we want to have that uncomfortable conversation about it? Absolutely not. But is it necessary? Yes, of course it is. And if we don't allow those mistakes to happen in school, you know, I just, I don't know. I just think that we can't I just, I just don't feel like we can filter it. Yeah, it's a valid point because, like you said, I mean, if they don't come across the content at school, they're going to come across the content at home or yeah. on their way home with their cell phones yeah. or, or other places. So, Yeah, in their room at night when no one's around, you know, and no one to talk to about it. I mean, it's, I don't know, I just, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think, you know, that digital citizenship conversation is, is an important one. It's something that, you know, it's going to apply at home and at school. So, yeah, so it's maybe a a yes with a disclaimer that uh, you have a good digital citizenship program in place. All right, so on to the main course, serve to you piping hot, choose your own adventure stories. Resident expert, Jonathan Wiley. You know, I don't know if I'll call myself a resident expert, but I have talked to a few schools about this in the past. I've done a couple of presentations at iTech and other places. And Choose Your Own Adventure Stories is one of those things that kind of has a little special place in my heart, Mindy. Not that my cold, dark heart. <laughs> Jeez, no kidding. I know. You know you had one. I, well, I know. We, we talked recently about how I don't really have a whole lot of like childhood memories. Didn't we have that conversation? Yeah. Yes. Do I remember yes, that correctly? Yeah. yeah. And but one of the memories I do have, um, strangely enough, is of choose your own adventure stories. I yeah. I have a pretty strong memory of uh, at the weekend walking down to my local library and uh, checking out more choose your own adventure books. And so this is like I don't know, a hundred years ago, but um, it's something I still have a, a good strong recollection of. I it was one of those types of genres that. As a boy, it really encouraged me to read more because I wasn't always a big reader when I was younger. Yeah. So when you read a Choose Your Own Adventure story, did you read both endings or did you just stick with your ending and that's what you read? Or did you go back and see what the second ending was? Well, a couple of ways I read this. So I I, yeah. I would I would read the book several times and deliberately take some different choices. But the first time I would read through the book, I would keep my finger in the page just in case. And then it says like, turn to page 47. And then you turn to page 47 yeah. and you like fall down a hole and die or something like that. Then I would oh, flip back no. over and choose the other one and know that that yeah. was the correct one to take. But, uh, you know, for the most part, you know, I, yeah, I like to hedge my bets a bit, but, uh, yeah, right. You know, but I did go back and read through it. And now that I knew what one path yeah. was like, I would take the other path. And so mm -hmm. I don't like, I remember choose your own adventure stories, but I don't remember like one sticking out to me like, oh, I really, I mean, I always enjoyed them, but did the endings always end in two different directions? I don't really remember that. Like, I, I, I don't remember, like, or were they kind of similar and it was always a disappointment? It must not have been a disappointment to you because you obviously really enjoyed them, but... I mean, sometimes there was, like, alternate endings and then there was, like, endings that were just, like, 
you know, you failed in your quest or you didn't, you know, get to where you were trying to get to and things like that. So, yeah, different types yeah. of endings. Yeah, interesting. So the cool thing about now technology is the ability to make your own, choose your own. And you could have anyway before, but um, there's some cool tools out there that you can use to make your own, choose your own adventure stories. Yes, there absolutely are. And we're going to talk about some of those. Um, yeah, let's. So, I don't know. I, I think we should take a step back and talk about planning first. Because okay. in, the, in the times that I've done this with students or with other teachers, I think the planning part is the hardest part. Because mm -hmm. that's the bit that takes the longest. And you get into these kind of like tree diagrams of choices that yes, you have to make. Right. Where you start here, and then there's two choices and then it turns into four mm -hmm. choices and eight choices mm -hmm. and, and all the rest. But if we've got some templates that we could uh, link to in the show notes that can help with that. But um, I think especially the first time you do this with students, you want to make it as simple as possible. You don't want like 48 different endings to a story. You know, you just want to keep it fairly simple and keep the choices manageable. Mm hmm. So, um, how what what does a you know planning sheet like that look like? I mean, I haven't seen what you do. So, do you use just like a graphic organizer that's like starts here and then stems out to two and then stems out to four, or do you do more like a flowchart kind of thing? Where I mean, what's it look like? Um, yeah, so flowcharts and those um, mind mapping tools are um, great for that type of deal because you can just mm -hmm. branch off and and make different paths for doing that. Um, Sylvia Duckworth created one inside of Google Docs, which is kind of cool, yeah. where yep. uh, the template's already there, and it's like first question, two choices, and then it says link to this, link to that, and, and right. go forth, and it gets um, narrower and narrower as it goes down, and the choices increase. Uh -huh. But, um, yeah, different things you hmm. could use for that, for sure. Um, yeah. Sometimes hmm. it might just be easier to take, like, a big piece of poster paper and, like, draw it out. And right, not, that's what I would do. Yeah, for I think sure. that's what I would do too. You're not going to mm -hmm. write out word for word what you're going to have on each page or each slide or anything else, but um, you could just sketch out your ideas and in your head have an idea of where mm -hmm. your story's going to go. Right. So what's your top tool for making a choose-your-own-adventure story? Well, like I said, I'd, I'd done this as a presentation with other people before, and yeah. um, when I've done it in the past, it, it really lends itself to a lot of the Google Apps for Education tools. Right, I agree, yeah. Or the G Suite for Education tools. <laughs> yes, come on, yeah. stay with the times here. To get here. the nomenclature right, I think. Yes, right. Um, so Google Forms, pretty straightforward, um, easy one to do. And uh, it basically uses uh, that kind of branching element whereby mm -hmm. like in a multiple choice type question, you'll have seen these maybe in, in forms before where, you know, it says, if you answer this question, go to page two. If you answer it with this answer, go to page three. And Right, and it's only multiple choice you can do that with in Google Forms, right? I believe you can do it with the uh, drop down one, I don't know what that drop down option is called, okay. but uh, yeah, you can do it with the drop down ones where you can branch right. out to different places. So yeah. basically, you split your Google form up into different pages, and the pages are the choices that people make. And the nice thing about forums is obviously you can add images, you can add text, you can add videos so that you can right. link off and make it a really multimedia story. Right. Or even like um, how I always talk about Google forms because I. 
you know, I'm not a huge fan of like, you know, quizzes on forms, but, you know, like kind of a choose your own adventure as far as how you're learning something. So you can watch a video and answer a question about it. And based on how the student answers, we'll take, take them to a different section. So that's one of the things you have to remember is to make a, to connect one question to another question, you have to break them out into sections, right? You said pages, I think, but it's sections. Yeah. Sections. Yeah. So I'm just saying it, not that I really care your terminology, but if you're looking how to do it, you have to create a new section and then link that question to a different section. Yeah. I think it used to be called pages. It used to be called go to page. It been, yeah, and now they change it to sections and yeah, things. So, right. Yeah. So, I mean, I saw a really kind of clever one from a teacher in Ankeny, um, mm-hmm. Prairie Trail Elementary in Ankeny, and we can link to that. But he did one on the rock cycle with his kids, mm-hmm. which was kind of fun, okay. but it's not really yeah. like a story per se. Yeah. But you choose one of the three types of rocks. So you choose it's either metamorphic or sedimentary or igneous, and that's how your rock starts. And after that, you choose what happens to it. So it either goes through weathering, erosion, and cementing to become something else, or it's put under great heat and pressure to become something else. It gets so hot, it melts into magma, and then it becomes... And it turns into like the next rock. And then you get the same choices again. And because it's a cycle, it just goes round and round forever and it never stops. Yeah, right. So I thought that was kind of a a fun way. So how does it end? So how do you make the form end then? I mean, you know, because usually at the end of a form, it's like submit. So it just continues to go in a cycle and never has a submit at the end of it. Um, I'm just wondering, how does it end? Yeah, you, you do have to have, you don't. I mean, if you do a cycle one, it goes around in circles all the time. But otherwise, you could have a huh. submit and you could have like a little message at the end that says, congratulations, yeah, right. you have successfully You're uh, a rock. completed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Otherwise, yeah. you could yeah. have like a kind of like a, a false ending where it's like, sorry, yeah. you failed. Click here to try again and it will take you back yeah, up to sure. page one and, yeah. and so forth around there. So, hmm. Yeah, that's good. Kind of an Fun. interesting idea, right? Yeah, it is. Forms for everyone. Forms for everyone. Forms for... Form for everyone. You get a form and you get a form. I like it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Google Slides works pretty much the same way. And um, again, you've got those branching choices. You're just linking to different slides this time instead of different sections. Um, Right. Yeah. And it works with the hyperlink tool. So if you hyperlink some text, it could say like, go to page one or go to page two. When you hyperlink it, by default, Google will look for suggesting a web link, but right. you will also get the option to link to a slide in the presentation. If you scroll down right. a little bit further and you can go to the next slide, you can choose a specific slide. And yeah, that's a really easy way to do some linking that way too. Yeah. And you don't have to just link text. You can link images too. So even for like your younger students or non-readers, you can put images up and have them click on the image, you know, that they want to learn more about or whatever. And so that image can also be hyperlinked to another link in your slide. Yeah, it's really uh, important that I think, especially for those younger younger students, you can also use like the shape tool and like bring out an arrow or something and points to right. a picture or something. And then they can just like, you know, click on the arrow or the picture or, or whatever. So, yeah, that's fun. Yeah. What about... Um, I'm going to say this is a yes, but if you take like a Google drawing from Docs, you could hyperlink that even too, right? Like, so you could do like even like a flow chart or something that you've created and, and put it 
right? Just as a screenshot, and that would still be an image. I was just thinking of some different things that you could hyperlink. Yeah, you could. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm -hmm. I like Google Slides. It's like my favorite. It's really pretty easy and intuitive yeah. and yeah it kind of goes back to those um like non-linear presentations you remember we did those in the apple training yes yes so do. so mm -hmm. this you could do yep. in keynote as well you could do it in powerpoint it's just linking between slides and you know creating those non-linear presentations yeah and i think what google slides has over google forms is just it's pleasing to look at. I mean, you can add lots of different graphics and make it really personalized where Google Forms is pretty, I don't know, it's kind of bland. You're restricted to the the themes yeah. and things that Google has for those. Right. Yeah. yeah. So Google Form or Google Slides, I think would, you could make something much more pretty. And that's important too. <laughs> it is important. Good design is important. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, Google Sites. I've also yeah. done this with Google Sites too. Now, yeah, it's you. You're linking between different pages on a website, so the the kind of important thing with this is that you remove any kind of navigation on your website, right. because otherwise people could just navigate to whatever page they they felt like navigating <laughs> to, and they would, and then it wouldn't be a choose your own adventure. Yeah, it would kind of spoil the illusion, really. It would, <laughs> it I would, mean, you would yes. choose your own adventure, but you wouldn't. Yeah, be hasn't gauged in the storyline and things like that. So I was going to say, we haven't talked much about the new Google Sites. Um, it's much more user-friendly, don't you think? Have you used it much since they made the switch over to the new Google Sites? Well, they've not officially made the switch over, really, have they? Oh, they haven't? No. I mean, you and I have access to it because, oh. yeah, we were part of a, a preview or beta testing that yeah. um, okay. Google were putting out there. I don't know officially when the new Google Sites are coming out, but... Yeah, it's something to watch out for. We could. Uh, it's better. It is better. definitely a lot cleaner, a lot yeah. easier to navigate. You don't have like, I think the worst part of the Google Sites right now is when you hit that gear and you want to manage site, and there's just like <gasps> a ton of options and stuff that people don't <sighs> really know where to find stuff, and then you have to dig oh even deeper gosh. if you want to go and customize the colors and the themes. And yeah, it's just it's not it. Oh, the hours I spent on Google Sites like looking for. The one little navigation menu where you put the pages in the different order mm. in the navigation. Oh, my gosh. I know it. I could never find that. And I would spend hours looking for it. And then I'd be like, oh, here it is. And then I'd forget again where it was at. I'm like, oh. Yeah. So. If you've never seen the new Google Sites, um, I guess Mindy could find a video on YouTube that gives a quick overview I of could, what that yeah. looks like. And we'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. sure. It looks good. It's It looks so much more updated, I think, and just much cleaner prettier once again <laughs> all about the pretty today <laughs> yeah i guess so um and so it works well for choose your own adventure stories is that what you're saying yeah yeah i guess i'm, I'm yeah. trying to no, bring i us, totally went on a ta tangent sorry trying to bring us back on track there but all right sorry sorry but yeah you can absolutely do it if you if you like making websites and things like that uh, you could do it in google sites you could do it in weebly you could do it in wix you could do it in any of these types yeah, of things as long as you have the ability to uh you know, hide the navigation and uh, yeah. keep those things out of the way. Okay, so, but you have to tell the one that you like, my mind was blown today by your next tool I, that you showed me. It did blow your mind a little bit, didn't it? You did. I was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea you could do that. It was awesome. So I showed Mindy uh, how you could do choose your own adventure stories with YouTube. Mind blown. <laughs> it's like, no, wait, what? That was kind of fun. Now somewhere, Mindy, there is, there is a video... For Choose Your Own Adventure that Tony Amsler and I made. And we did a Choose Your Own Adventure video. So 
Oh, um, I'm going to have to dig that out because Jar Jar Binks is in that video too. Really? Yes. Oh my! It's not very pretty. I can't wait. But um, no, I bet not. But I, I will, I'm looking forward to finding that. So in in YouTube they have this thing called annotations, and they allow you to highlight or select different parts of the screen. And you've probably seen these when you've been watching a video and that something will pop up and say, click here to subscribe to the channel and stuff like that. Right. So you take those annotations and you put them over something that would let people make a choice. So right. I showed you a video from uh, Greg Kulovich and uh, his ninth grade world history students. And basically they held up like a whiteboard. And right. on on one side, it said, like, I don't know, the Egyptian Civil War. And the other one, it said the French Civil War. And then you click on the one that you want, and it takes you to another video that gives you right. more information about what you want to learn about. Yeah. So that was fun. It was fun. I, it was, I, I, I don't know, because especially when they held their whiteboards up, I'm like, well, this, I don't get this. And then... I could see like they had drawn like a square around for their annotation that perfectly matched their little whiteboard. And I'm like, oh, I get it. That was super neat. I liked it. Yeah. So we can we can link to that video and let people see that one. Yeah. But uh, you could yeah, do it sure. as a they, theirs was kind of like a nonfiction storytelling type of deal. But you could do it right. as a as a more of a dramatic um, storytelling oh, sure. thing, too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Get some green screen going. Be super fun. Um, what about some other tools that, um, we could use for choose your own adventure stories? Um, you, you've used, or you've come across IncoWriter before, is that right? Yeah. You know what? I have, um, when you pulled it up today, I took a look at it and I thought, oh yeah, I've seen this, but I haven't used it by any means, but it's kind of what IncoWriter is for, right? It's yeah. to use, yeah. So... I suppose it's worth a look. I don't know much about it. I can't recommend it by any means, but it looks good. Yeah, I went to um, ISTE about uh, three years ago, I think it was. And one of the presentations I went to was done as a Choose Your Own Adventure PD session. And they used IncoWriter and they wrote it up and said, you know, okay, we're talking about this. Would you like to learn more about this tool or would you like to learn more about this tool? And we voted on Socrative. And when the votes came in, we'd click on, he'd click on the link and take us down that path and, and so forth. So I thought that was kind of an interesting way to use it as well. Have a choose your own PD adventure, but, um, yeah, I like that idea. Yeah, it definitely is. It was meant for the classroom as well and creating choose your own adventure stories with, with kids. So Inkle Writer, it's a fun one to check out. Inkle Writer. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then I, um, came across Code Academy has like a choose your own adventure coding prompt. Um, and I'll link that into the show notes, but I thought that was kind of an interesting different play on choose your own adventure. And I'm not much into programming. Like I went and played with it a little bit. I'm like, Oh boy, I probably need to take a few lessons before I do this. But I thought that was kind of a different, um, way to go about choose your own adventure. I don't know. I have not seen this before. What, what, yeah. what do you get to choose or, or make choices? Well, with? it runs, so it runs you through prompts. So you have to start with like getting people engaged in the game and then it just gives you instructions from there about what your next commands. And then you can kind of, um, I don't know, create your own, choose your own adventure. So then the person who's playing your game gets to, you know, engage in the adventure that you've created. Yeah. And I guess if you think about 
video games and things like that. It's all about choose your own adventure. It's all about choice, isn't it? And making yeah, your own choice is. for yeah. things. So, uh, yeah. yeah. I like that. Um, yeah. I wrote up a lesson plan once, and if I can find it, I will link to it on how to use OneNote for choose your own adventure. And that was linking to different pages inside a OneNote notebook. Yeah. Um, I don't know yeah, if you can, you can do, do that in Docs too. Yeah, you, you? actually in Docs you can use like that, uh, you know, the bookmarking tool. Bookmarks. And you yeah. do like a table of, and then you can just say like, you know, do you want to go here yep. or go here? And then it's basically just linking to bookmarks within the same doc. Um, yep. So I would definitely, if you did it in Docs, maybe mix up your content a little bit so it wasn't necessarily in order. Because otherwise yeah. just scrolling down gives you like a peek at, at what's coming next. Well, and even if you put a page break between each page... Oh, yeah, I like that. You know, so then it would say, okay, well, the next page is coming, so I need to make a choice here before I move on or something like that or had like a just an image on that page in between that says don't scroll any farther, make your choice or something. I don't know. Mm. Oh, one more interesting thing. I Oh, yeah, what? What? I said, oh, yeah, what? <laughs> when I was uh, showing some teachers uh, Google Forms for um, Tutor and Adventure, I know we're going back here, but I just remembered this. That's right. Uh, one of the teachers said to me, have you ever looked at the responses and analyzed the choices the students mm. are making and maybe talked to yeah, them about why they yeah. made certain choices? Mm-hmm. I thought, that's a really interesting way to look at it too because, you know, yes. you get the data and the graphs and stuff like that. Yeah. So you could do this for office forms as well. But, you know, yeah. why why did students make that choice? Why did like 60% choose this and only 40% chose that and, and so forth? Yeah. There could be some interesting conversations there. Well, yeah, I mean, just the data analysis behind, you know, coming up with reasons. Well, why do you think someone would choose this topic? I mean, all subject aside, just the math discussion about it would be great. Yeah, I think that'd be fun. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Good idea. So lots of good ideas for choose your own adventures. I mean, I'm thinking about why you might want to do this in the classroom. Um, I guess we've talked about some of these ideas already, but, you know, some kind of creative writing for sure. It obviously very easily lends itself to that um student voice and choice student voice and choice um have you ever seen those like alternative history type of things you know those sliding door moments in history where you know what would have happened if we had not done this and you know Mm -hmm. we did that instead and you can go down and make those kind of alternate choices yeah kind of like um what's that that show that we kind of all started watching last year man in the Man in the High Castle? Yeah, don't talk about it too much. I'm still not caught up yet. Okay. But. No, I never, I only watched the first couple episodes, but it is like that. It's like an alternative it is. historic ending. Yeah. I mean, the whole show is based on that. So yeah. it's highly engaging because it makes you really think about what would have happened if this one little decision was different, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, that's a good idea. I like that idea. Do you know what a dichotomous key is, Mindy? Oh, no. I, I, I didn't know either. I learned about this oh. when I went to... Uh, a presentation recently, but a dichotomous yeah. key in science is a way of like classify animals. So you could say, okay. does the animal have feathers? Yes, no. Uh-huh. And then you come down yeah. your branch and then, you know, yes, you know, does your animal have, I don't know, or can your animal fly? And then you, you're classifying animals and basically doing going down that branching part to make choices and identify animals. So you could use it for things like that too. It kind of reminds me of that game. Um, it was like a little handheld video game, right? Called uh, Just 20 Questions or something like that. And yeah. you'd have like an object in your mind and then the device would ask you these different questions to kind of start categorizing your question and or your um, 
you know, your object that you're holding in your mind. And I almost always got it right. What if you did Oregon Trail? I never played Oregon Trail. You never played Oregon Trail? No. Oh, Mindy. But that, I mean, that, that was all Is about it, choices. It's like that though, right? Isn't that kind of what it is? Yeah, like, similar. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, and obviously you could have your ending, you died of dysentery or whatever else. And, <laughs> you know, I think Oregon <laughs> Trail is, is tailor-made for choose-your-own-adventures type stories. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Another one I saw mm-hmm. was the impossible to fail quiz. Oh, because it just kept making you learn what you hadn't gotten correct. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you could do it as a kind of an assessment type thing. And if students yeah. choose a specific answer, then it's the wrong answer. They get to go to a page that's got video reteaching mm-hmm. and stuffing. And then they go back mm-hmm. and answer another question to prove that they can now do that skill. And then they go back onto the test so you can uh, yeah. take different paths of, of learning and assessment. Personalized learning. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think lots of good potential for choose your own adventure in the classroom. Absolutely. It can be done on lots of different devices, lots of different curricular areas. And I think it's a lot easier to do than people think. Um, yeah, I think so too. It's all about the planning. The planning is a hard bit. And then as long as you know yeah. how to link something, whether it's in a doc yep. or a form or a slide or a website, whatever, if you can know how to link, control K, command K, yep. then that's all there is to it really. Yeah. We say that's all, all there right. is to it, but yeah. Well, if you need more help, let us know. We would be happy to help. All right, on to my favorite part of the show. It's time for tech nuggets. Tech nuggets. Tech nuggets. Yeah. Well, Mindy, you've got three this week, so I think you should start. I know. Okay, so because I have three, I'm going to do each one of them very short. My first one is Ken Ken which I will link in the show notes. Jonathan actually showed me this one, so I'm going to give him props for this because what Ken Ken does is it's kind of like the Sudoku puzzles, which I love. I love, love. But um, it you can set it to difficulty by the number in the grid, so like a 3x3 three three grid, 4x4 four four grid. And then you only get to use numbers 1 through 3, 1, for, one through 4, depending on your grid size. And then there's a targeted number, and marked off spots in the grid. And then kind of like Sudoku, you can only use one, two, three in each column or one, two, three in each row. You can't double numbers, so you can't duplicate numbers. Um, And what I like about this app is, first of all, that it's free. And secondly, that there are um, a ton of different options. So you can change so that students are using just addition, addition and subtraction, multiplication, multiplication, division. So um, lots of different ways for you to personalize for that student. I gave it to my first grader who is kind of, he really enjoys math, does really well with math in it. I could see his brain seriously working. And once he kind of got used to using it, he was figuring out those puzzles super quick, but it was really making him think. And I thought, this is a gem. So nice job, Jonathan Wiley. That one's called Ken Ken. Oh, thank you very much. It's done by the uh, National Council for Teachers of Mathematics. Mathematics, yep. Yes, and it is available as an iOS app, but I think you can also play it on the website as well. If you go to Ooh, the, uh, I didn't even know there was a website. If you go to the NCTM Illuminations okay. website, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So we can link to that yeah, and sure. uh, try that out. So if you don't have access to an iOS device, give that one a go. Okay. Um, I will talk very briefly about um, Edge Shelf, 
which is one that was reasonably new to me. I don't think it's like brand new or anything, but Edge Shelf is kind of similar to something like Symbaloo, where you would take a collection of um, websites or apps or tools that you wanted to link to and you make a collection of educational tools Mm -hmm. so um, they call it a socially curated discovery engine for websites mobile apps desktop programs and the nice thing about it is um, once you click in like the url for the app or the website it will generate like a little icon for you automatically you can have multiple boards you can search for boards that other people have so if you're thinking i don't know maybe i'm looking for some early childhood apps you can go to edge shelf search for early childhood see the boards other people have created Uh, you can follow people and get updates from all their latest boards it's just a nice way of collecting curating and sharing information in a, a nice visual way so we like that one. It's yeah, of, uh, I do too. Come I use that one a lot. Yep, that's a good one. Good. Um, my next one is um, Osmo again came out with a new, I don't know, they're not really mods. What would you call them? A new game, new manipulative kit called Pizza Company. And what I love about this one is it's everything to do with money. So um, kids get to make pizzas and then they have customers who give them a certain amount of money to pay for their pizza and then they have to make change. Uh Uh-huh. And it's interactive. It's super fun. The graphics are really cute. Um, We don't have one here yet at Grant Wood. We've ordered one, I believe. Um, So I haven't got my hands on it yet, but I have seen the commercials and I would definitely... Um, suggest taking a look at that one because I think it'd be a great way for kids to work with money in a real life experience sort of way because that money is so tricky for kids and making change is so tricky for kids. I see adults it's tricky for. So um, this is a, I think this is going to be a really great one. All right. So I have, um, you had three picks. I have a kind of a three for the price of one here, Mindy. Okay. Uh, it's a tool called Spiral. And you can get to it at spiral.ac. I believe that uh, they are a company that are based in the UK. And you know how much I like to uh, mention companies that are based yeah. in the UK. Yeah. So uh, it comes with three online tools here, which work on pretty much any device from what I can see. Uh, one of them, the first one's called Quick Fire, which mm-hmm. lets you do whole class activity question and answer type things, kind of like some of those, you know, formative assessment type things like formative, where you get that real time feedback. Right. You can prepare the questions ahead of time or you can uh, do them on the fly if you want project them all up on a whiteboard and students can reply either with text or with a a drawing board and um, the teacher gets all the data back to see how students answered they can call up specific answers that students have said anonymously and say okay i'll take a look at this why do you think this person did that and and so forth so that's the quick fire one the second one is called discuss and it's a little bit more formally um structured in terms of you can create like a presentation and have students see that on their screens you can put little prompts in for the students to answer questions during the presentation uh you can track the student progress and basically it's based around the idea of having a discussion in the class together. Um, Maybe one of those kind of back channel type tools that we've Mm. talked about in the past. You can Mm -hmm. upload a PowerPoint or you can create one from scratch with this tool itself. And the last one as part of this trilogy of tools is called Team Up. And this is to facilitate collaboration and group 
presentations between students. And you as the teacher can set like a task for the whole class, or you can set like a number of like group tasks and you can arrange the students into teams or you can hit a button and have it create the teams for you. And those teams then work on that assigned question together in this platform. And uh, you as the teacher have access to everything that all the teams are doing and collaborating on and creating together. So it is 100% free and you get three for the price of one. It's called Spiral. I'm still digging into it a little bit. I'm going to write a blog post on it at some point soon, but um, I think it has a lot of potential. All right. So my last one is actually comes from Tony Vincent and it was kind of like a little like um, surprise and delight. And it's called um, the Schwazi Finger Chooser. And the what? The Schwazi? Yeah, I think so. The Schwazi Finger Chooser. If I might be pronouncing it wrong. I don't know. But um, so it was just a free app. And uh, the way you would use it is if you're trying to make groups of kids, everybody puts their finger on the screen um, when this app is up and running. And um, you can choose if you want like pairs or um, triples or whatever. And then um, you match up your fingerprint then leaves a color of sorts. And then you would pair up with the person that has the same color as you do. Just hmm. like that. It's super fun. That's pretty simple, but yeah, easy to do, isn't it? Yeah. So if you're not looking to like manipulate, you know, pairs, like sometimes you try and put different kids together. If you're looking just for, you know, just to quickly put kids into groups, they all can put their finger, you know, on the iPad. I don't, I don't know how many you can put on. I know I had all 10 of my fingers on at one time, like pair my fingers up, but um, yeah, super fun and just quick and I think kids would just kind of get a kick out of it. So check that one out. So when you put 10 fingers on there, you got 10 different yeah. colors? No, I got five different colors. Oh, of course. And yeah, because I wanted groups. pairs. You know, we should get together after the podcast and yeah. put like 20 fingers on there and, and see what happens. Okay, cool. I like it. It's a free app. Yeah, free. All right. So that about wraps it up for another exciting episode of uh, the EdTech Takeout. We very much enjoy uh, hearing from you. Like we usually say at this time of the podcast, please keep in touch. You can email us podcast at gwaea.org. You can follow the digital learning team on Twitter at DLGWAEA. I am at Jonathan Wiley. Mindy is at Team Kearney. We had some feedback from a reviewer on iTunes from Canada who identifies themselves as Virtual GIF. They said, uh, what I love most about this podcast is how much I learn in every episode. There are always a plethora of new tools discussed and examples of practical ways to use these tools in the classroom. I often listen on my drive into work as inspiration for the day. Inspiration for the day? You are someone's inspiration for the day, Mindy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's very generous, wasn't it's it? It's very generous. Overly generous, yes. <laughs> so feel free, uh, yeah, send us any feedback you want, either via email or as an iTunes review. And until next time. This has been the EdTech Takeout. We hope it hit the spot. For more information on today's episode, please visit dlgwaea.org slash podcast.